Hello, and welcome to Aging Well, Finding Beauty in the Gray. I'm your host, Hugh Willard. Aging Well is a podcast for everyone in or approaching the retirement years. There's a lot to unpack here apart from the financial planning component, and we'll do just that. We'll explore new interests, priorities, and goals, and finding purpose for ourselves and in our relationships. Join me each episode as I share stories and chat with guests learning to live their best next act lives. Welcome back, everyone, to Aging Well, Finding Beauty in the Gray. Kim Hange lives on 36 acres in the beautiful mountains of Western North Carolina. She is an entomologist, a naturalist, and a local trail keeper. Along with her botanist husband, Jim, they have nurtured their land into what is now a United Plants Savers Sanctuary. And this is one of thousands, and she will share more about this in our time together today. She hosts talks, leads hikes, and in general, shares her love of nature with any and everyone she sees. Kim, it is a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Let's start out with, I mentioned uh, in the introduction for you, the United Plant Savers Sanctuary, and you shared that this is one of thousands. Can you tell us about this uh, and more directly about your your and Jim's um, sanctuary? What is it? What goes on there? Well, actually, it's a wonderful idea, and it's one that everybody can take part in. There was an international herbalist named Rosemary Gladstar who came up with this concept. And she, of course, was very much interested in medicinal plants, especially native medicinal plants. And she came up with the concept of having people um, create a living greenway of native medicinal plants throughout North America, whether you have a hundred acres, whether you have one acre, whether you just have a veranda, you know, or a porch, what she encourages is that the spaces can become botanical sanctuaries, places where you can actually collect and exchange seeds of medicinal plants like ginseng, black cohosh, yam, there are dozens and dozens of really wonderful medicinal plants that grow native, especially in our area. And um, they're over, sometimes they're over collected. And her vision was that if everyone could plant some of the ones that they've heard about and that grow in their area in their own yards and teach about them and share share information about them, uh, that you would create a living greenway and help to heal the earth. And I love the concept the first time I heard about it. And we have 36 acres. And because we live in far western North Carolina, we're surrounded by native plants. And so on our land, Jim and I plant uh, ginseng and black cohosh and all the other types of native plants. And we propagate them. And sometimes we bring people over and show them how they can do the same. And by doing this, the other thing is we preserve the plants from being 
uh, pushed to the edge of extinction in nature. And uh, if scientists need additional genetic information, they can come to these United Plant Sanctuaries and not get inbred plants. So it's just a win-win for everyone. It is, and it's a beautiful thing. And my goodness, what a great uh, model and example for all of us that you all do this. So you have been featured in Our State magazine on a couple of different occasions, most recently in the latest edition. Uh, This is uh, October uh, 2023 when you and I are chatting. So, um, And there's just a wonderful profile in there of some of uh, your passion and some of the work that you do. Would you take us on a hike with you in the Joyce Kilmer Slick Rock Wilderness? What happens on this trek? What will we see, particularly when we look down? Oh, I would love to take you for a walk onto the double loop trail of the Joyce Kilmer Memorial Forest. It's such a special place. Um, As I said, it's about two miles long and it is what's called a wilderness trail. And that is very important for people to understand because a wilderness trail allows you to step back into time, uh, to see nature the way it was meant to be. And in some ways it's controversial because you won't find smooth paved trails. You won't find um, protective barriers around each tree. It is an experience and the, the trails are rough. They have steps, they have roots, Uh, The trails can be very wet and muddy, but when you step onto this trail and start walking up it, it crosses wonderful mountain streams full of brook trout, one of the rare trout uh, in our area. And there are two loops, if you can picture a figure eight. Uh, On one side of the hike, it's dark and shady, and on the other side, it gets much more light. And so you have a plethora of wild plants and trees to see. As you go higher and higher and you begin to look down, you can see various wildflowers. And I can't even begin to express how many different things might catch your eye. Um, Wild turkeys, the occasional bear runs through those trails. But the most important thing is as you get up to that upper loop, you'll notice that the trees begin to grow larger and larger. And and some of the trees that you will see are well over 400 years old. Uh, The area itself almost is magical. And if there was ever a place where gnomes and fairies and elves still existed, it would be along that upper loop of the memorial trail and you can feel a change as you walk through this particular trail more than any place I've ever hiked. A peace just seems to surround you. Many people claim that there's a healing uh, that they feel both spiritually and physically as they travel up. And many people, when they reach the upper loop, will step behind some of the big trees and meditate or just sit and read a good book um, just to see the massiveness and the beauty 
of the trees above you and then an entire community below. Some of the, uh, when I take little kids on the hike, I show them the algaes and the mushrooms and the fungus because they do look like fairy castles. And uh, it stimulates your imagination and it shows you things that you just don't have the opportunity to see anywhere else. And this trail is so famous that um, in Paris, France, I got a picture from a tourist that lived there and showed a poster of Joyce Kummer Memorial Forest in a store in Paris, France. Oh, and we get people from all over the world. Yeah. It is magical. And uh, I, I grew up in central North Carolina. And one of the things, one of the one of the really uh, one of the drawing cards of our state is the abundance of of nature and beauty, and of course we have, uh, particularly when we are in the central part of the state. But it's 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 accessible anywhere. But we have access to the coast and we have access to the mountains, and uh, you know the just the again the 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 beauty of nature, the sacredness of nature, and and for me um, there there can be this debate which. It maybe it's in fun, but uh, you know we we consider are we beach people or are we mountain people, and and it, it's nature, it's beautiful everywhere, and it's sacred everywhere. I will say, uh, for me, each occasion when I come from the central part of the state to the western portion where the mountains are, and when I first glimpse the the silhouette of the foothills coming in, coming into the mountains, there is a basically beyond description, but I'll, I'll do a poor job with words and say there is a, a settling in my spirit. There is, there is just this, this grounding and this coming down and this sense of peace is just pervasive. I feel it every time I go to the mountains. It is just, um, again, it gets beyond words. It's just a, a magical place, as you said. So. It truly is. And I, I wouldn't live anywhere else in the entire world. I, I love it here. Although I admit, I also absolutely love the ocean. Yes, yes, it's natural. It's it's uh, it, it is that and it's, it's a great uh, story about uh, the the folks coming from all over the world and the, the picture in Paris, France. I, I love that. So um, how did you how did your love of nature come to be? That's an interesting question. I think I was born with it, but at the same time, I was lucky enough to be born into a family that had a keen appreciation of nature and of art and beauty. And so I was indoctrinated from the time that I was a baby. And I remember my parents telling me that of, of all my siblings, I was the one that didn't want to come inside. It didn't matter if it was snowing. It didn't matter if it was raining. Uh, I wanted to be outside. I wanted to be in nature. And that was the way I was from the time that I could toddle around. And that's continued throughout for you. It has. And it's been a great comfort. Um, nature has taught me so much about people and about life. And I think Joyce Kilmer Memorial Forest is a, uh, one of my greatest teachers because I uh, saw it before the invasive plant uh, pest, the hemlock woolly adelgid moved into the area and uh, killed off some of the great hemlock trees. And my heart was just broken. Uh, 
Uh, and it took me several years to understand that nature isn't static. We fight change, but nature is a wonderful teacher to show us that it's constantly changing. We can't freeze it in one moment of time. And when those great trees fell, there were smaller trees that are called pioneer trees that had been waiting for 50, 80 years to germinate for light to hit them. And when the big trees fell, all the little pioneer trees started growing up. And now those trees, the birch and the sassafras, the magnolia, uh, they are uh, 12, 15 feet already. And in 50 years, they'll be as big as the trees that fell. And it's comforting. You and I um, had a conversation prior to coming on air today. And uh, in that conversation, I was reminded, and once again, I am reminded of uh, a, a beautiful book uh, that came out last year, the year before, The Wisdom of the Mother Tree. Uh, the author is Suzanne Samard, and uh, she she is in uh, Western Canada in British Columbia, and she shares just this amazing account of nature, of trees in particular, and the the capacity and the the biodiversity and how they are um, alive, attending, responding, communicating, cross species using uh, mycorrhizal. If I'm saying that word close to correctly, mycorrhizal fungi um, to to share messages, to share you know the gifts of of sugars um, and carbons and. And, and nature is alive and responsive. And to your point, uh, it, it is sad uh, when there are change processes that, of course, can result in, in certain things um, going away. But then here comes nature in response and, and the diversity just continues. It is so resilient. So so that's wonderful. Tell us what are balloon flies and what can we learn from them? <laughs> well, balloon flies are one of the things that people rarely see. And uh, I, I want to say that one of the things that I really love doing on my hikes is introducing people to things that they would not have noticed if they weren't walking along that trail. Balloon flies don't even look like flies at first glance. You can be walking along a trail and you'll see these tiny little white blooms moving up and down, but not drifting in the wind. They actually are moving independently. So they'll pull apart. It looks like they're dancing. They'll pull apart. Then they'll come together as if attracted. Then they'll pull apart again. And it's only when you get very, very, very close to them that you can see that there's a tiny fly hanging on to this little white bloom and flying around and giving it direction. And in actuality, it's a species of fly that doesn't look unlike a gnat, um, but you would never even see it uh, unless you absolutely focus down. And uh, the male dancing fly is bearing a gift inside this little bloom for the female that it's trying to attract. So the females are watching all these males compete. Now, what I found most interesting of all is that every once in a while, one of these male flies will have a bloom with nothing in it. But the female can't tell there's nothing in it. 
until it actually accepts the mail. And then I'm sure is deeply, deeply disappointed. And I thought, isn't that amazing? Oh my goodness. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. We had, well, those, those, those sneaky males, those rascals on, on certain occasions. So do you have a favorite story or experience from your time out in the great Smokies? I have so many. Every time I go out, um, it's inspirational and it lifts my spirits. But there's one thing that happens every year that I think is, for me, one of the most magical things. And I go back every June to do it. But I don't know if you've heard of the synchronous fireflies. But these are fireflies that flash all at the same time. Um, it, it doesn't look... Um, it, it doesn't look more like a, a Christmas tree. If you can picture a dark, dark forest with no ambient light, and then all of a sudden somebody plugging the light, uh, the electrical cord into a Christmas tree and having that Christmas tree just light up with millions of little white lights. And they blink for about 30 seconds and then snap off so that suddenly it's pitch dark again. And then you wait one or two minutes and it happens again. And this goes on for several hours. And it is, for me, one of the most magical, beautiful sights I've ever seen. Now to follow that up, um, the other thing that can happen out in the Smokies, we have seven or eight different species of a plant called a trillium that blooms in the spring. And the largest one is one called Trillium grandiflorum. It's a white trillium. And there is a white butterfly that likes to pollinate. Them. And so when you go through big fields of it, uh, the white butterflies will fly up. And if the light is just right, it looks like the actual blossoms of the trillium are lifting up and flying into the air. And um, when I see that, and I see that every spring, Again, it's just pure delight. As you describe that, I'm picturing this in my mind, and I have to imagine I'm not coming close to the majesty of that, even though it's just astonishing in my mind. And you mentioned the fireflies, and my goodness, what a, a treasured childhood memory for me in, in the central part of the state. But uh, I do know about the synchronous fireflies, and definitely want to, uh, at some point, uh, that that's a bucket list item for me to get up there for that. Am I remembering correctly? I believe I read something in the last few years about a discovery of another type of firefly. Are you familiar with that? That So there was some sort of discovery in the mountains. Does that ring a bell for you? Another, I don't well, know if it's another uh, species or... It probably is. Um, uh, Discovering Life in America does a lot of work in the Smoky Mountain National Park looking for new species. But the other species of firefly that is becoming equally popular uh, as the synchronous is one called the blue ghost. That's and it's it, one that you ghost. can look okay. at the same time. And the, and the blue ghost um, doesn't flash. It turns on and it stays on. And so you can follow this little line of fluorescent blue as it flies along at low level. And, every, and everybody can yell, look, it's a blue ghost. And uh, then it disappears for a little bit and then it comes on again. And it's just such a unique color that everybody loves it. 
and it makes celebrating June really special. Yeah. Uh, all year round, but but June is absolutely a gorgeous time um, in the mountains. And of course, you have the different elevations. So you have the 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 flowering that happens at different elevations at different times. The the trillium, the rhododendron, the mountain laurel, on and on and on. It's 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 such a glorious time. And for me, um, it's one of the things that I like the best about this area is that if for some reason um, you can't get up here at the beginning of the spring, as you say, the elevations allow you to find and see everything over a period of, of one or two months, going from the lowest elevation to the highest. And it happens in the fall also with the leaf color, so that you get extended beauty. The two times of year that is best to come visit uh, is, is about the last week of April, first week of May to see the amazing wildflower displays. And then uh, the fall around October 15th. It's just stunning. Yeah. So you have uh, your sanctuary with Jim that you continue to attend to and uh, your, your talks and your hikes and uh, all these wonderful things that you are engaged uh, in. What are your hopes and dreams for the time ahead? My hopes and dreams is that I could always stay here, that I could always uh, show people the beauty in nature. And I know that as I age, um, I will not be able to take some of the steeper hikes that I'm taking now. I have many friends that have already reached that point because of knee operations or any number of health problems. Um, but what I teach and what I show people is that no matter where you live, and no matter what your physical state, there are things around you that you can learn to see and take joy in. And that's what I would like to continue to be able to teach, no matter how old I become. So well said. And and actually, maybe, uh, and that leads me into my next question, which maybe you're partially answering there. We'll see if maybe you would have anything more to say. For our listeners who aren't able to make their way to your neck of the woods, and I certainly recommend that they do if they are at all able to. Um, what would you share with them about spending time in nature? What I'd say is this. Spending time in nature is a form of meditation that anyone can do. A lot of people have trouble with meditating because their brain's so busy. And we do get detailed to death uh, with the myriad things that have to be done in a day. And then, of course, things that are happening, happening around us that we can't control. And that causes us to become depressed or anxious um, or angry as far as that goes. And sometimes just sitting and trying to meditate just frustrates you more. But being able to take, just take a walk um, calms you for just a short period of time. And so let's say you live in the city when you roll your eye and say, yeah, when am I gonna be able to get out to Western North Carolina? There are simple things you can do from your house or apartment um, that can give you that same joy. One of my favorites is hanging out a hummingbird feeder. We have a wonderful hummingbird population here and it is absolutely riveting 
to watch those little birds come in and know that you're helping them fuel up to take a long trip to Mexico. So hummingbirds are something that you can do. Um, another thing that I do as an adult, but is particularly good if you have children or grandchildren, is to hang a white sheet out your backyard on a clothesline and um, buy an a inexpensive black light that you can get and shine the black light on the sheet and go out after dark and see all these most beautiful moths that can be drawn in at night and show them to your friends. And they're just as beautiful as butterflies. We just never see them. Um, and a third thing that I really like people to think about is if they have a favorite color, make a theme garden, even if it's on your back balcony or window boxes, pick flowers all of that color and make that your special spot to just go out and nurture nature a little bit and sit for a bit. Those are wonderful, wonderful suggestions. And as you're describing the meditation, um, I am seeing more and more the term nature bath or nature bathing um, in conjunction with meditation and really the, the research that is aligned with that, that speaks to the health benefits, the physical, the mental health benefits that do come from our time in nature. And I think we all know this is true as to, to your framing of this. We can get trapped in our day-to-day -day hustle and bustle and the stress that goes along with that. And uh, whatever our environments, there is access um, through your great suggestions. We can think about ways that we may become more um, attuned to, more uh available to in, in taking in the, the the beauty of nature in any environment uh, that we may find ourselves in and then such value such great value that comes from that so wonderful suggestion well kim hange it is wonderful to talk with you and uh, i am certainly hopeful that uh, our listeners will heed your suggestions and know that they can get so much from any time that they would spend in nature. And we wish you all the best in your continued time in Western North Carolina. And for all the folks who, who have the great fortune to be able to chat with you more and, and hear these stories and learn about all the different parts uh, of, of nature that are there in Western North Carolina. Again, thank you for joining us. We wish you all the best in the time ahead. Thank you for inviting me. You have been listening to Aging Well, Finding Beauty in the Gray. I am author, psychotherapist, and life coach, Hugh Willard. To learn more about this podcast, listen to other episodes, and discover resources related to our guests and topics, please go to our website, findingbeautyinthegray.com. If you have comments or questions, or would be interested in sharing your story with us, we'd love to hear from you please reach out to us at FindingBeautyInTheGray.com. Aging Well is produced by Willow Way Creations with sound engineering by Garrison Locke. Theme music is written and performed by yours truly with Greg McGee and Garrison Locke. Thanks everyone for joining us. We hope you will be with us again next week.